Ruth chapter 1. Just four chapters of Ruth. Uh, we're going to just quickly go through, read it, and then just a little tiny... You know, um, one thing that was really cool that we, we just kind of got to, to dip our foot in the pool on was, um, you know, Jesus says that all the things that were written in the scriptures were written of him. You know, uh, all the scriptures point to him. And, uh, you know, when he rose from the dead, he was walking with the two on the road to Emmaus and, and Cleopas was one of them. And he told Cleopas, like, hey, you know, it, he, he gave them this Bible study of uh, Moses all the way through the prophets, and he, he just taught them everything that speaks of him. Could you imagine sitting in on that Bible study with Jesus where he just showed himself in all the scriptures? And so we just, we just, in all of our reading, we just endeavored every meeting to just kind of be like, do you see Jesus here? Do you see Jesus here? Do you see the gospel here? Do you see sin here? Do you see redemption here? Do you see faith here? Do you see the Holy Spirit here? And uh, just slowly over the week, just kind of got to dip our foot in the pool, you know, uh, and... Um, and so we want to do that a little bit today as we read through Ruth. We'll read a chapter and look for Jesus in it a little bit, uh, and then read a chapter, look for Jesus a little bit, and, uh, and that's kind of the plan. B.B. Warfield uh, said that, he, that, that the Old Testament is like a beautiful, uh, richly furnished room with all kinds of tapestries and just all kinds of decor, all kinds of design, but that it's dimly lit. Just dimly lit. You, you can't really see. You know that there's these beautiful things and it's just decorated just right, but it's dimly lit and, and it can only be illuminated with the light of Jesus. And you bring Jesus in and all of a sudden the Old Testament is like just this beautiful picture and you just get, you, you understand everything. We're going to be able to see that in the life of Ruth today in this, you know, story that, you know, it's a good read. You know, it's something that's like, oh, what a wonderful romance story, and it makes my heart beat a little bit faster, and, and you know, um, but it's more than that. Uh, one guy said, one preacher said that the book of Ruth is a very sensual book, not that it, it arouses uh, sensual thoughts or activities, but that it causes you to sense that there's something more that the book is pointing towards, that when you finish the book, you go, there's more. There's something else, and then you enter in the rest of the scriptures to just really illuminate what Ruth is talking about. So um, one of the first verses in the book of Ruth says that all this story, this whole romance, takes place in the days of the judges. That'll be very familiar to those of us that were doing the reading this week, because yesterday we read the book of Judges, and we remember that two times in the book it says, in chapter 17 and in chapter 21, this is the theme of the book of Judges, it says, and in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what he thought was right in his own eyes. And we remember from Deuteronomy that that's not a good thing, that after we hear the law of the Lord and he tells us what's right, it's in the scriptures that we find what is right. But whenever any man says in his heart, I'm good, even though I disobey the Lord, I'm good, I'm good, he's deceiving himself. That's a bad place to be, and that's what was happening in Israel in those days. You know, the Lord was telling him, here's my law. If you obey, there's blessing and there's life. If you disobey, there's judgment, there's cursing. And so the, and so the Israelites said, okay, we hear you, God. And then they just started disobeying like crazy. And so judgment was coming on the land. Uh, curse was coming on the land. Famine was coming on the land. In the book of Judges, you read that raiders and marauders would ride their camels out 
out of the mountains. And just when the Israelites would get their harvest cut and do a whole season's worth of work, here come the Midianites, like the sand on the seashore on their camels. And they'd ride down and they'd raid and they'd steal the crop, bringing a famine on the land because of disobedience. And it's in the midst of the dark ages of Israel that we have this wonderful love story in the book of Ruth that shows us that God is, God is gracious, that God is merciful, God is faithful, even in the dark ages. Okay, so chapter one. Um, you know, whenever we read the scripture, we look for the gospel, we look for the fallen condition, we look for the effects of sin. And chapter one is like, is the effects of sin. Um, you know, when you go to a jewelry store, um, you know, they, they lay out a black tapestry and then they set out the diamonds on top of them. And, and it's because of the black tapestry that the diamonds look so beautiful and so shiny. And you can see all of the different facets of that diamond. And so that's what's happening here. That's what the gospel does is, first of all, the bad news. And so chapter one is this sad, sorrowful time uh, in the life of Naomi and the life of her family. And, uh, and so we see that here as... Uh, a man in the day of Judges uh, that lived in Bethlehem, uh, his name was uh, Elimelech. And, you know, this guy, his name was, meant the Lord is king. And sadly, that doesn't reflect in his lifestyle choices. Why? Because even though he lives in Bethlehem and God is judging Israel, his hand is heavy on the land because of their disobedience. They live in Bethlehem, which means house of bread in the land of Judah, which means praise. God wanted that place to be a feasting place, a place of worship. But because they were disobedient, it was a land of famine right now. Uh, it was a land that raids had been taking place on. And so Elimelech, the Lord is king, says, you know what? Um, prudence, practical pragmatism wins out over obedience here. We're not going to stay in the, Lord, the land that the Lord gave us and worship him the way he told us to. We're going to go, me and my sons, and we're going to go with my wife over to the land of the Moabites. Uh, not a good thing. And we know that because we just read through the Old Testament, a big part of the Old Testament, all right? Uh, the Moabites were a group of people that were very wicked, very sinful, very dark. Their very beginning we read about in the book of Genesis when Lot's two daughters want to continue on their family name. And so they get their dad, Lot, drunk, and they lie with him to have babies. And one lady, you know, has a baby that produced the offspring of the Ammonites, and another has uh, a son that produced the offspring of the Moabites. And so that's where that came from, out of just wickedness and sin. And that was what sin birthed sin, and that was where the Moabites went in darkness. We know that the Moabites were there when Moses was leading the people up uh, skirting the Red Sea on the east side of the Red Sea, I'm sorry, the Dead Sea, and, uh, and he asked the king of the Moabites, hey, can I pass through here to get up to the promised land? And the king of the Moabites said, heck no. If anything, I'm going to curse you and tried to curse Israel. And so the Lord said, I'll curse you. And he says that no one should intermarry with the Moabites. Nobody should, uh, you know, don't have any part of them. They are wicked. And so here, Elimelech, the guy whose name means the Lord is king, says, you know what? This seems like the good idea. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Let's go to Moab. And so he takes his wife, Naomi. He takes his two sons, and they go over uh, to this land. Now, a few things. We're going to be looking at every person's name here. Naomi means pleasant, all right? Naomi means pleasant. Uh, one of his sons named uh, Malhan means unhealthy or sickly. 
Now, they'd usually name the child, you know, after a few days of interactions with them. And, you know, uh, and so they, after they would either pop out of the womb or after they'd interacted with them, they'd name them what they noticed their character was or what the color of their skin or their hair was like, right? And, uh, and they noticed that this guy, he's sickly. <laughs> All right, so for the rest of his life, he gets to be sickly, right? Try not getting bullied at school, sickly. You think that's bad? His brother, Chilean, his name means puny, all right? So sickly, puny, and pleasant go over to the land of Moab. And notice early on in the chapter, it says they just went to dwell there. That was supposed to be a temporary thing to just go and make it through the famine. But sadly, it ends up being 10 years. And they ended up, uh, it says that they ended up staying there or remaining there. And so the Lord ends up judging them. The Lord ends up judging Elimelech, and he ends up dying, uh, you know, suddenly, unexpectedly, and a tragic, painful situation. And, and uh, in the midst of the trial, the Lord brought a little bit of joy with Naomi's two sons intermarrying, uh, uh, and, and also against the law we read. They weren't to marry, and yet uh, these two sons took Moabite wives. One of the um, wives' names was Orpah Winfrey, or, Orpha. Oprah, okay. Um, Orpha meaning fawn, and the other was Ruth, which means beautiful, okay? And, um, and so, sadly, though, we see that the sins of the father affects the sons, and, you know, they have this sudden death. Both of the sons have this sudden death, and so Naomi has no husband, she has no sons, and now she has two widowed daughter-in-laws, and... Uh, and so, you know, they're there in Moab, and, and they hear that there's, there's produce now. They hear that there's bread over in the house of bread. And so they decide to go back, and as they're on the road, you know, Naomi looks, and she goes, you know what? You girls just go back to the house, uh, your, your parents' house, the house of your mothers. Go back, marry some more Moabite men, and, and, and take care, you know? And, and it says that they have this, you know, chapter one, it's not so much a Kodak moment, it's a Kleenex moment, you know? And they just cry and they weep and they wail. But notice Orpa, or Orpha, however you say that, she cries and has this encounter with Israel there. She's been married into Israel. She has this encounter with the law of God and she weeps at the sadness of, and then she leaves, right? She has an experience with Israel and then she leaves and goes back to Moab. Ruth, it says, she clung to Naomi. She said, I am not going anywhere. I've been changed. I've spent years uh, in a house that's come from Israel. I've heard of Yahweh. I've heard of his righteousness. I've heard of his justice. I've heard of his provision. I want in. And so they walk away. And it's kind of one of those, you know, Benji movies or Lassie or Man from Snowy River Part 2, you know, um, <laughs> where he's got the black stallion, and finally, you know, it's time to let the stallion go, you know? And so he's like, go, little guy, it's been great. We got the Brumbies, you know? Go back, right? And then he walks a little ways, and then the, the horse is still behind him, or the dog is still behind him. I said go, just get out of here, you know? And uh, that's what Naomi's going through, but Ruth keeps following, you know? Ruth doesn't leave. And then Ruth just says this poem or song or whatever that, hey, anyone who's going to get married someday, hey, Granny, remember this song, because these are great vows. Where you go, I'll go. Where you dwell, I'll dwell. Your God's gonna be my God. Where you die, I'm gonna die. This is all that death to do us part stuff. 
But this is essentially, this is Ruth's conversion moment. This is where she has a choice to make. It's time to choose which God are you going to serve, the God of the Moabites or the gods of the Moabites, or are you going to serve Yahweh? Orpha made her choice. Ruth makes hers and goes to the house of bread. And so when they end up going back there, they have, uh, you know, you can just picture them coming in just weary and exhausted from their trip across Israel. And as they come into to the land of Bethlehem, um, all of the women look at Naomi, who, you know, they all knew her from preschool classes, you know, or they all knew Naomi from the bridge games they used to play, you know, and, and here comes Naomi and they all go, is that pleasant? Is that, hey, do you recognize, is that pleasant? That's her name, pleasant. That's what they were saying. Is that pleasant? And what does pleasant say? Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Call me bitter. God has been afflicting me. Because of our disobedience, because my husband, he led us, we backslid. We went into a land of paganism. We had our, our sons intermarry, you know, and there was judgment in those days. There was judgment. God's been afflicting me. God's been rebuking me. God's been correcting our house. We backslid. And she says, we went out full. Even though they were in a famine state, they went out full. And she says, now we come back empty. It's just like the prodigal son, remember? He was full. He was in his father's house. He was eating good and living good, but he decided to go out and to live like, you know, in a life of sin. And, uh, and he lost it all, and he's eating with the pigs, and he says, I, I gotta go back. And so he went back empty to his father's house. So this is the sad, this is the dark moment, chapter one, where we see sin in Israel and the consequences of sin in a family's life. Even as they make decisions like that of Elimelech that he made, now Naomi's coming back into the land. She's lost her whole family except for one of her widowed daughter-in-laws comes back to the house of bread with her. Don't worry, chapter two is gonna get a little better. Okay, so we leave chapter one of the violin kind of playing a sad song and there's sunshine coming over the horizon in chapter two. You know, the song becomes a little more hopeful. Enter in the hero of the chapter. Uh, his name is Boaz, which means mighty man or man of valor or or warrior. And he in this story is going to be the picture of Christ for us. Uh, Ruth is going to be a picture of the church, that's us. Uh, Naomi is going to be a picture of Israel. And so we have this man who's a mighty warrior, a man of valor from Bethlehem. We just read, he's the Lord of the harvest. And, uh, and we see, uh, spoiler alert, he's going to be the kinsman redeemer. Okay, so that's Jesus, uh, Boaz being that type of Christ. So we see Ruth, when she gets to this land, she doesn't just sit on her duff, but she goes out and she starts gleaning wheat. And we've read the law this week, and we remember reading the law of gleaning and how a man that owned a property, he was to go through it once with his sickle, pick up everything he could just pick up, and, but not go back and pick up all the other stuff that dropped. He also wasn't supposed to harvest the corner of his field, and that was to be left for the gleaners who could go through and, uh, and we just see God's love and his heart for the poor there uh, in Israel. And so um, they weren't to sit around, you know, the poor weren't to sit around idle, uh, but they were to, you know, to work for their food. And that's a New Testament principle as well. And so uh, Ruth says, I'm going to go out and, and get some of this food that's here. And she goes out to work and she's gleaning in a field of the reapers. And then in verse three, you might notice it says 
she just so happened, or she happened to come to a part of the field that belonged to Boaz, who was of the family of her father-in-law, Elimelech. Now, uh, I like that it says that, that she just happened to go there. Now, we know God's sovereign, you know. Um, She might not have known what she was doing, but God was sovereign to take her to that field uh, to the one that'll end up being, being able to redeem her. And then we'll see, as you look at Jesus's genealogy, out of Ruth and Boaz comes King David, and out of King David's line comes Jesus the Messiah. And so um, it wasn't just happenstance that she went into this field. And, uh, you know, it just makes me think of my Ruth, my beautiful one, and uh, how we both grew up in, <laughs> look at that look on her face. You know, we grew up in Klamath Falls together. We were in um, nursery together in church growing up. So there's some hope for our kids, right, that are back there. Um, we were in first and second grade together. In my yearbook in my office over here, I have a picture of Lindsay and I in class together, sitting just a table apart from each other as six-year-olds. And, um, and it just so happens that when my dad had Hodgkin's disease and was dying of cancer, that my wife and her mom sold roses on Mother's Day on the side of the road for my dad's cancer treatment. Just so happens, right? And it just so happens that in high school, I happened to go back to Klamath Falls and go to a soccer game during deer season. I was over there hunting, so I went to a soccer game. Lindsay was at the soccer game, and we talked about the Lord and talked about Bible studies in our school. And it just so happens that a couple years later, I saw her at a graduation. And, uh, and much like Boaz, notice Ruth. Remember, it says there, uh, he looks across the, Ruth, uh, the field as she's gleaning, and he goes, who is this? That I looked across the gym, and I go, who is this? You know? And it was my Ruth. My beautiful one, you know, and we know that it's not happenstance, you know, it's the sovereignty of God. That's my Valentine's Day gift to you for next year, is it? We'll root, you know. But uh, Boaz looks, and, and, you know, he doesn't probably see the sovereign hand of God in this either, either but who is this? Now, look at verse 6. So a servant kind of introduces them. A servant introduces them, and um, it's interesting that In Genesis 24, Abraham has a servant named Eleazar that goes and and gets Rebekah for his son, Isaac. And Eleazar means servant of God. Interesting that in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is the servant that brings uh, the Gentile to the Redeemer. And uh, in fact, Jesus says he calls the Holy Spirit the parakletos, the one who comes alongside in the Greek He's the helper. Jesus, or the Holy Spirit is the helper. And so here we have a picture of the Holy Spirit uh, introducing the Gentile uh, with the kinsman redeemer here. And so, um, and so they have this uh, interaction, and you totally see what Boaz is thinking. He says, hey, glean all you want. I'll protect you, and stay with the women. Don't go over here by the young men, Okay. You stay with the women. Don't even talk to them. Don't even look at them. And I'll protect you from them, okay? That's what he does. And, uh, and, so, and so she says, why in verse 10 have I found favor in your eyes? Why are you dealing so kindly with me? That word favor is the same word that we would use for grace. Why have I found grace? Why have I found mercy in your eyes and, and, and compassion? Since I'm a Gentile, I'm a foreigner, I'm a Moabite. Why have I found compassion? A little bit later, she says, um, or Boaz says, you can come under my wing for refuge, all right? A little bit later, again, she says, let me find favor in your sight, verse 13, grace 
and mercy. You've been so kind to me. And then in verse 14, we have a picture of Jesus where Boaz says to her at mealtime, come eat of bread and dip your piece of bread in the one translation says wine. And so we have the redeemer who feeds his future bride, a Gentile, the bread and the wine. And then we see that she keeps back some of it, goes home and gives it to her family. It's a picture of us. We get so much grace from the Lord. We just keep it to ourselves. You know, sometimes we do that. Okay, we do that all the time. We shouldn't, okay? We're to go and give it to our family and share the bread and the wine, share the body and blood of Jesus with our family and tell them of this good news. And so the mother-in-law, typical you know, Jewish mother-in-law, who were you with today? You know? Was that good? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, was that bad? Okay. I don't know. You know, oh, I was with Boaz. And you can just see the light going. She is a, or he is a close relative. NIV translation, he is a kinsman redeemer. According to the law, he is one that can make it all right and well with us. And so, um, and so she says, you know, so what happened? And Ruth said, well, um, I, I went and he told me to go and be with the young men. Somehow she got a mix-up in the, in the communication. And then you catch verse 22. Naomi goes, no, no, no. You go and just be with the young women. Don't let any of those young men have, you know, catch your eye or anything. Stay with the young women, okay? Um, chapter 3, we're going to read it, and we're just going to have a really quick commentary on it. Okay, so we just have the, the plan of the mother-in-law. We have Naomi's plan to um, kind of work out this kinsman-redeemer part of the law in their family. And so... Uh, they wait till um, Boaz has had a hard day's work. And, uh, you know, the, the time of harvest was a celebration time. And so, you know, they are having wine and they are feasting and they would take the crop up on a hill or a cliff where the wind would be blowing and they would thresh the wheat and they would beat it up and then they would toss it up in the air and the wind would blow all the chaff away and all the wheat would fall down. And after a hard day's work and, and kind of partying and enjoying life, uh, Boaz lays down and he's sleeping and it's a public area and uh, the threshing floor and there's people there. Nothing, nothing immoral is happening as Ruth goes and lays at his feet. There's no sexual immorality or immorality taking place here. Um, and as he's stirred awake, um, what we see is her asking him. We see her just saying, hey, you're my close relative, you know, uh, and, and I love the, the translations that were read right now. It said, you're my kinsman redeemer. Will you be my kinsman redeemer? Will you redeem us? You see our situation. And Boaz is like, yeah, I will. <laughs> yeah, you know, I noticed you across the field and I've been protecting you and heck yes, you know. And, um, and he says, but there's, there's just one thing. Um, you know, I'm not the closest relative. I'm a close relative. I'm not the closest. There's someone else. So I'm gonna go, I'm gonna talk to him tomorrow and, and see, you know, if he decides to be the redeemer, then, then you're his, you know. Uh, and so this love story is like, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? But, um, but something that we want to see is, is in, in salvation, as God's sovereignty is working in drawing men to himself. No one comes to the, to the Father unless the Lord calls him. Uh, and so God sovereignly is working out salvation. And yet there's also that aspect of salvation, a man's responsibility of receiving redemption and calling out to the Lord for redemption. And here we see Ruth humbling herself and laying at the Redeemer's feet and saying, will you be my Redeemer? 
Have you done that? Have you cried out to Jesus, will you be my redeemer? And so uh, that's chapter three, and we'll um, read chapter four. Pretty cool genealogy there, huh? Ending with the name David. Um, So Boaz did did what he told Ruth he would do in chapter three, And the next morning, he goes out to the gate, which is kind of where legal matters were held. And uh, he gets this other kinsman redeemer, and he says, sit down. And then he gets 10 of the elders, and he sits them down. And this is where court is taking place. This is like custody hearing of who's going to be the kinsman redeemer. And uh, how many times? It says five times there. Sit down, sat down, sat down, sit down, sit down. Interesting, our redeemer sits down in the courtroom of heaven and has paid the price for our redemption. And uh, anytime an argument comes up between uh, the slanderer, the devil, our kinsman redeemer sits there and, uh, and says, it's done, it's done, it's done. But uh, there he talks to the kinsman redeemer, says, Naomi, uh, when they were poor, they sold their land and, uh, and they went to Moab. And uh, you guys know that in Leviticus 25, it talks about you know, they can do that. And then in about 50 years, Um, they'd get it back in the year of Jubilee unless the kinsman redeemer wanted to purchase it for them uh, around that time. And so he presents the case before this other guy. And uh, would you like to do it? If you don't do it, I'll do it, you know? And the other guy's like, I'll do it. (laughs) And, you know, so you've got this romance like, (laughs) you know, and then you've got, you know, uh, the romance stops because this other guy's like, I'll do it, you know? And Boaz is like, no, (laughs) Ruth and I, we're going to, you know, and, uh, and so he pulls out this other card and he says, well, if you redeem Naomi, you need to redeem um, Ruth. And he does it. He's not like Ruth, whose name means beautiful and she's gorgeous and all that, you know, he, he goes, uh, Ruth, the Moabites, the wife of the dead. Okay. So she's a zombie and she comes from Sickoville is basically <laughs> what is what she said or he says, right? And, uh, and so the guy's like, whoa, whoa, you know, I can't do that, you know, and, and whether it's, uh, we've already got our kids' inheritance dealt out, and I can't, you know, have another family coming in all of a sudden, and, you know, and, uh, and so he backs out of the deal, and in the law of the kinsman redeemer, um, the wife of the dead would be the one that would call this meeting at the gates, and she would present it to the kinsman redeemer, and if he said no, she would take off his shoe and spit in his face. It was a disgrace for him to say no. And it was a radical, like, honor would go towards him if he said yes. And so in this other guy's case, you have Boaz. Ruth, Ruth isn't there pleading her case. You have the kinsman redeemer there pleading the case for his Gentile bride. And then he takes the shoe off and he says, you are all witnesses. And they all say, we are witnesses. Okay, and so then he goes and he makes her, <laughs> yeah, he's like, woohoo, we're getting hitched, you know. He goes and he marries her and they have a baby and the baby's name means worship and, uh, and it's there that, um, our, yeah, it means praise and worship and uh, it's there that we have this beautiful picture of the Gentiles in Romans 11 being grafted in to Israel, and worship is produced from that, and fruit is produced from that. And it's a picture of us in the Old Testament, uh, a Gentile bride being redeemed by the kinsman redeemer. We are brought near, and, it, it, and you know what? We are brought near freely. You know, Boaz didn't need another field, and he didn't need a bunch of you know, people, you know, but he loved Ruth, 
And so he willingly did it. Now, the kinsman redeemer had to be willing, able, and a kinsman. And that one guy, he was everything but willing. Jesus, he's our kinsman because he became flesh like us, all right? He is um, willing because he says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own. And he's able, the gospels say that he's able to save to the uttermost. And, uh, and so we have our redemption there in Jesus. Naomi was a Jew out of the land. She was out of the will of God, suffering unusual loss of life. Where do we see Israel at right now? Come, finally, coming back to the land, but they've suffered extremely. Ruth was a Gentile bride receiving grace and mercy from the kinsman redeemer. Ultimately, both Ruth and Naomi are redeemed. And one day, all Israel will be saved, right? Ruth is the one who meets the redeemer first. Just like we Gentile, the Gentile bride has met the redeemer first. The law is what brought them to the redeemer. The law of gleaning and the law of kinsman redeemer. And the law brings us to the redeemer. It's the tutor that shows us we're sinners that need a savior. Shortly after Naomi is back in the land, a wedding takes place. How long has Israel been back in its land? Since 1948. And in the book of Revelation, we see the marriage supper of the lamb to his bride. Shortly after Israel is back in her land, a wedding will take place. A word from Dean this morning that we're going to see him soon. Are we prepared to see him? Naomi's blessing takes place after this wedding. Israel, uh, after the wedding supper of the Lamb, Israel's redemption will take place. And they'll look on him whom they've pierced, and they'll mourn for him as those that mourn for their only son. But redemption will take place that day. Uh, Naomi's blessing is centered around Bethlehem and a child being born. So does Israel's blessing take place around Bethlehem, which is where David was from. It's also the place where Jesus was born, where the shepherds saw the angels worshiping that night, Christmas, it wasn't Christmas Eve, but you know, back in the day. And uh, so lots to glean from the book of Ruth. And now we want to worship, just closing with Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, saw us as that treasure. He sold everything he had to receive us, to get us to the Bible. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.